my flesh is, is being singed off by this immense heat. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really a lot. We've been in here for a whole week now, and I'm ready to climb back out, but we gotta finish this this podcast episode. <laughs> Happy St. Patrick's Day to you, Bernadette. Oh, yes. Uh, top it of the morning. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, we, we don't have St. Patrick's Day at hell, Caitlin. <laughs> or... Or it's just the morning after St. Patrick's Day where the streets are covered in puke. That's, yeah, could be that too. We did not do a St. Patrick's Day holiday theme, but now I kind of feel like we should have because this is the 17th episode going up on the 17th, but Uh, oh well. Meh. That's all right. We'll do it next year. But we've been in this. We've been in our, our recording booths for a whole week now. We'll see. We don't know if we'll need to be here for for another, but... We'll see how it goes. We'll I, see how I'm it feeling goes. pretty good. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready to power through hell. Yeah, with I'm all sorry of you. that I'm sorry that all of you have to listen to my sick voice for multiple episodes in a row. But as soon as we're done recording this, our next our next <laughs> recording session, I won't sound. Caitlin's I won't gonna sound go like get I'm a dying. blizzard from Dairy Queen. I want one so bad, you guys. Because as we all know, dairy is great for the vocal cords. Uh, that's how I know that I'm feeling better, though, is that sugar has sounded repulsive for the past yeah. several days that I've been bedridden completely, and now I really want a blizzard from Dairy Queen, so hey, I know I'm feeling I'm glad feeling you better. made it through. I, I was making a list side. of possible replacement co-hosts, but none oh, of them good. are quite as good. Oh, well, thanks. I'm glad, I'm glad you weren't going to toss me to the wayside. <laughs> mm, I can... Know that you're replaceable, but it would be really hard. <laughs> oh, welcome to like Stonehouses. No, wait, that's the opposite. You're irreplaceable for real, not in a sarcastic way like in the Beyonce song. Welcome to Stonehouses, an amateur guide to fiction, fable, and folklore. I'm your replaceable co-host, Caitlin Herter. <laughs> and I am the inimitable, here forever, immortal god on earth, Lord Bernadette Meeker. No one's proved oh me wrong god. yet. I thought you just said Lord Bernadette Meeker. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Bernadette Meeker, you shall pay homage to me. Ooh. Thank you. Did you subjects. finally? Did you finally get your mist- uh, your bookcase that is a doorway to another room? Now that you're Lord. No, but soon. 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 And then I'm gonna have a secret underground room that has like a big stone table and a lot of candelabras, and uh, I'll keep my one of my friends down there, and they'll be wearing a, a deep hooded crimson cloak of richest velvet. And holding a ceremonial onyx knife that glistens in the in the dim light <laughs> will lead you there. In, so in we're the so we're larping now? just before daylight. Uh, sure, if that's what you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Welcome to Hell Part Two. Hi, Yo. welcome. Hi. <laughs> Perhaps I will go there for my ritual sacrifices. To bring me uh, uh, full fields of healthy crops. Yeah. I don't know. What do people do sacrifices for? I don't really know. I would like a sacrifice to end winter, please. Ooh, yeah. There you go. 
Stop snowing, Midwest. Uh, Please, I'm begging you. I want I'm happiness sorry, in my life once again. Ugh. We're trying to do better, but so many people are just being the worst. Climate change. Folks, it's real. It sure is, and that's something that uh, I will not d uh, put down as an aesthetic choice. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Where anyway. were we when we last left off? Uh, talking hell. about Christian well, hell. That Christian hell, yes. So, we were going to talk about how Christian hell has a lot of ideas that uh, aren't, say, in the Bible, in the good book. Uh, <laughs> it's worth saying that a lot of um, a lot of other Abrahamic religions have kind of um, additional texts, like, uh, just let me look up the word for it real quick, back in it. So, uh, for example, the Hadith are kind of supplemental uh, texts that are kind of secondhand accounts or, like, sourced accounts, basically, that are supplemental to the Quran. Uh, so, like, those ones are are written explicitly like, hey, this is by this person, or I heard it from this person through this person. Like, there's some that are better sourced than others and are considered more legitimate. Christianity uh, has kind of taken a weird thing where they decided that they're going to get super into, like, uh, fan fiction? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> written about things, and that's how we bring ourselves to the Divine Comedy. Woohoo! So, folks, it was my intention to read Dante's Divine Comedy, and then I was bedridden for five days, so I only read half of it. However, I bring to you... That's still a pretty big chunk. I'm impressed. I don't actually know how far into it I got, but I read a decent chunk of it, and then I had the internet help me with the rest of my, Thanks, the rest of my info. So, as much as we've had the the our 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 fun uh, our fun gag of of teasing our faves for writing self insert Bible and also kind of Greek mythos fan fiction, this has taken um, it to a new level. Yeah, this is fun. Dante was actually, I can't I can't completely berate him because Dante was actually writing with accessibility in mind. Mm -hmm. I think that it's very cool the the things that yeah. he did. So. I, I can super get behind this. I'm very into accessibility of media and whatever things. But um, a lot of literature in this time or, like, things to do with with the Bible and with this type of story was written in Latin. And not Latin. everyone could read Latin. And our boy Dante wrote his Divine Comedy in Italian so that it would be accessible to the general public and yeah. to, so more people could read his work, which, smart move on his part, but also it brings more literature to to a, gr a greater audience, which we respect you for, but I will still dunk on you for writing mm. Bible fan fiction, Dante, yeah. because it's just so fun to do. However, we appreciate you, your inclusivity. I very much, I very much respect making knowledge available to the masses. Now let's talk yes. about that that knowledge, yeah. quote unquote. Let's talk about that knowledge. So in uh, his Divina Commedia, the Divine Comedy, it's set in uh, the 1300s, the year 1300, I think. Uh, he, so he writes a story about himself, basically, mm -hmm. trying to get to heaven, but he's got to walk 500 miles proclaimer style through hell and purgatory <laughs> to get there first. 
<laughs> I'm very excited about this story. I okay. really wish that I could have read more of it. And there's a lot, there's just like a lot of these old stories are so just like head pounding on the desk to get through. Like <laughs> the first couple of cantos that I read, I literally, I read them. And then I had them read to me, and then I read the spark notes, and I was like, oh, that's what he was saying. <laughs> I'm very bad at reading poetry. Thank heavens for spark notes and for people yeah. willing to put it in idiot speak. Yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, like, that's, I mean, if that's a way you gotta read something, it's the way you gotta read something. I mean, it's, 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 it really does feel like you're pounding your head on the table if this isn't the type of, of literature that you often read. So it was, I had a lot of fun trying to read it. I did find a, a, um, a podcast of someone reading the cantos to me. So I would read the spark notes first and then I would have someone read with me because otherwise my eyes would just wander and I couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't keep focused. Um, so basically, Dante, what he has to do, he has to walk through Earth from one side to the other, to the other side, where there's a mountain, climb that mountain, um, the mountain of Purgatorio, and then, uh, uh, ascend to heaven with his lost love, Beatrice, which, in real life, he did have, he had, he had a betrothed who died young, who, Mm. it is theorized that this, this Beatrice in the book is... Uh, in the story is based off of, but also maybe she's just an allegory for true love itself. So either way, a lot of this is based off of his real, real life experiences. So Virgil, his, his hero uh, Virgil, yeah. he reincarnates for this book. He doesn't in the story, but he, he brings the, the visage, the persona of Virgil to be his guide through the inferno. Um, and then, up the mountain and whatever. Virgil is confined to limbo, which is just on the edge of hell because he was uh, not either. It was like he was born before Christianity or what? I don't know what the thing is, but he just was like hanging out. It starts out with their entrance into hell is the very the famous line, abandon all hope you who enter here, which is so dramatic and I'm so here for it. <laughs> um... Outside, outside, there is the anti-inferno, which is like the before the inferno, where a bunch of souls who like either couldn't choose between good and evil just kind of hang out. Basically, I'm not gonna run you through the whole plot of of Dante's Inferno just because, like Bernard said, there's just a ton. There is just a ton of stuff about in this story that that Dante wrote. We are gonna run through the circles of hell, though, that yeah. he lays out for us first circle of hell is limbo so virtuous pagans who lived here or uh, who lived good lives they they did good things they were very moral they were very just good people they lived good lives but either never converted to christianity or lived before christianity existed um (laughs) or weren't baptized so like uh sorry guys sorry guys they sorry so it's everyone kinda, before christianity yeah so it's just these like kind of like cool ghosts just hanging out there there isn't a punishment here um there's just kind of like a general like consensus of melancholia that they're so close to heaven but can't be there but there's nothing there's no there's no punishment there's nothing really wrong there's no nothing really negative about living here you're just not in heaven so you and all the cool ghosts. I think there were a, a, like a couple of exceptions were made for like just real cool people who get to like move on. But for the most part, you just kind of chill, chill in limbo. Second circle of hell is for the lustful. It's for those who gave into pleasure and are, are cursed for eternity in the horny. Um, 
this, yeah, the horny folks are in a raging storm, which literally throws these souls around <laughs> like waves on the rocks, just gusts of horny souls, like being blasted against like the stone and stuff. So just this horrible raging storm that they just have to be caught in forever, these winds and gusts. There's some pretty funny art of it. Like, I know it's supposed to be dramatic, but I think it's, I think it's hilarious. And we'll get into art a little bit later, but it's good. This... There so much has been made based off of this this story. It's good. It's all good. It's all great. Third circle of hell is for the gluttonous. Um, the it's raining here. I think it is raining in the other one too. But the rain here is made of filth and trash and gross, just nasty stuff. Um, the gluttonous here have to lay immobile on the ground. They can't move. They just have to sit there being slapped with debris and sewage falling from the sky for eternity also cerberus is here oh i think just hanging out i don't know what 100 percent. i don't remember what the purpose is but cerberus is also in the third level of hell if you uh uh don't don't remember the the three-headed dog who who guards um, a good boy yeah so there's a lot of what what we start seeing in in these is is it's bible fan fiction but it's it's self-insert Bible fan fiction while also taking elements from like Greek mythos, which is really interesting. It's really there's so much happening in this story. It's fun. It's really it's it's a fun one. Um, there's yeah. So we're gonna every level kind of probably every other level has some sort of Greek mythos involved in it, which is fun. Uh, the fourth circle of hell is for the greedy. Um, there is a, a demon named Plutus who lives here, who is mm-hmm. based on P- Pluto, which yes, would be god the, of which would of, be the Roman name, but which is really interesting. Oh, remember that Hades is god of like mineral wealth and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like this, a demon named Plutus here. So now we're getting into, <laughs> we have Bible self-insert fan fiction with Greek elements and now also Roman names for these old Greek entities, which is very funny. So yeah. Plutus is here who is kind of, yeah, the god of, of kind of material wealth and that sort of a thing. The greedy souls kind of have to basically battle royale it into eternity here. Um, they have, there's specifically, they're rolling giant boulders at each other, kind of <laughs> like big old bumper cars that aren't fun. Um, less fun bumper cars, big stones, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones style, avoiding big old rocks. But they're just, it's just a big old battle royale. What's it from uh, Futurama? I want, want to say it's like Murder Ball or something. Murder Ball. <laughs> Basically, the that's what they the... get rolled over by giant balls. Yeah, it's the fourth, fourth level of health. But they're already dead, so they can't die, so it's just kind of torture, essentially. Yeah. Um, Capitalist. <laughs> watch out. Yeah, the fifth circle of hell is for the wrathful. I believe the River Styx is supposed to be here. Um, this is also a battle royale scene, but. Again, just specifically for the wrathful instead of the greedy. Um, there's also, like, the melancholic and, like, the sad. And I think it's just supposed to be people who have depression are here, too. Hey! I don't know. I think the that's hell, just Dante? what it sounds like. It says the sad people are here, too, the sad folks. Um, and they have to sit underwater and breathe in this murky water and be withdrawn from the world. And that's their punishment. I don't. I don't know. It's just where they're at. Dang it. And then after this, they come to, um, there's a city in the depths of hell that's kind of guarded by fallen angels who kind of turn Dante and Virgil away because the living cannot enter and Dante is still alive. Mm-hmm. Virgil's dead, which I, I, 
Virgil isn't allowed to be in these these circles of hell. Like he doesn't belong here, but they're just like, yeah, Virgil, it's fine, but he's alive. <laughs> he can't be down here. Um but That's then, super then there's like some other divine intervention and some other like angels show up and are like, let them through though. And they're like, I guess so. Uh, so they get to go through. Um, then we get to the sixth circle of hell for heresy, the her- the heretics. Heretics? Heretics. 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 There is a graveyard full of tombstones and these tombstones are covered in flames. And this is where <sighs> the heretics live. And it's very dramatic, but it's for those, the proclaimers of false gods and religions, and they just oh kind boy. of are buried here. There was, I don't I don't know if maybe I didn't read enough into it, but it just felt like it was just kind of like that. It's just real, just that was it. I'm like, all right, cool. It's rough. Uh, seventh circle of hell is for the violent murderers and warlords, like uh, people who are violent to others, but also people who are violent to themselves. So if you... Commit suicide or something. Gosh, you end dang up, it, Dante! Yeah, you end up in the seventh circle of hell. Well, I mean, isn't in like the Bible? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like a sin to harm yourself like that. So he's just going off Bible fan fiction. So he, they, you would end up here, uh, and then uh, violence against God or nature, which is God's creation. So, ooh, that was interesting. So if you litter, you're going to the seventh circle of hell. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's what that means, but I'd like to pretend it is. And then the eighth circle of hell is fraud. So it's basically, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Tax fraud murder? going to hell. Fraud. Fraud. Yeah, it's I know. It's fraud is worse than murderers and warlords. So it's it's basically it was laid out as like this basin, this bowl of of um. With demons that just torture souls who have, like, lied or manipulated um, when they were alive. So, like, gamblers, manipulators, people who, like, made fake money. Fortune tellers specifically have a specific, very heck? specific punishment. If you're a fortune teller, um, you go to the eighth circle of hell for fraud, and your head, you have to wear your head on backwards. So. Well. Huzzah. <laughs> well, gee. Well, gee whiz. Then finally we get to the ninth circle of hell, which is betrayal. Ninth circle of <gasps> hell is the, this is, this is the end of betrayal. the hell. This is the end of the line. This is where Satan himself exists. This is the biggest, baddest yeah. hell. And I, so there's some really cool illustrations of this. So Satan is described as this giant three-headed beast with these enormous wings that are constantly in motion. And... We often have, as I guess a lot of cultures often have the visual of hell being this flaming, cavernous, underground, hot lava, magma, fire, that sort of a thing. Hot flaming. Mm. But this, so due to, I think due to these enormous wings that are constantly in motion, constantly flapping, make this level of hell is frozen in ice. Which is very interesting. So including Satan himself, half of his body is being encased in this frozen lake. Um, So it is mentioned specifically that here are three of the greatest betrayers, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, Mm -hmm. and Brutus and Cassius, who betrayed um, Julius Caesar. Really? Uh, I just... 
that seems like a weird choice. That seems like a he was obsessed with classical literature and stuff. Yes. Oh, exactly. Um, as well as other souls who betrayed either God or their families or their country. This is where, I mean, it kind of happens throughout when you meet, like, odd things. And we, we've talked about in other episodes, like in the uh, Headless episode, we talked about how he met, um, like, a, a dude who was carrying his head as a lantern in one of them and kind of gave him directions, like, whatever. We've talked about this before. But in, um, in all of these levels, Dante gets real political. <laughs> and he, like, calls people by name and, like... A, like will name real people who oh, he believes boy. are in these levels of hell. So he makes some statements, which I think is very funny. But eventually they have to, I think it's either, I think it was like they have to like crawl down Satan's body under the ice to get to the other side of the world to the base of Mount Purgatory. Or, <laughs> or there's like a tunnel. Okay, so I realize this probably isn't true, but I'm imagining like top half Satan's like from the waist up kind of just stuck in a frozen lake and then his waist down is just frozen and like yeah shriveled (laughs) so they either they have to get to the other side basically and they get to the base of purgatory whatever but then then they're no longer in hell so those are dante's descriptions of or i guess my paraphrasing of dante's Mm -hmm. descriptions of of his nine circles of hell that he writes about in his is divine comedy um it's it's a fun read. It's a difficult read. Um, but a, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. And like like I said, it pulls from a lot of different literature and it's like part some of it just feels like a flex on, oh I've I'm I'm learned. I'm the smartest <laughs> of pants. I learned. And like we, we've about talked it. about it before, but like he isn't the only one who did this. Who he isn't the only one who wrote what he's just one of the most most popular um, renditions of this type of a thing. But a lot of people wrote Bible fan fiction. A lot of a lot of Bible content, like we're gonna get into that a lot Bible of things. Content. Are these Bible content? A lot of beliefs and stuff comes from things that weren't even originally in the Bible. These are just people's own interpretations of, and like we've mentioned Blake before and Milton and all these things. And we're gonna we're gonna get into that. I think Bernadette has a few has a yeah. few thoughts. Uh, before we move on, <laughs> I just think one of the things that interested me while I was reading the page for this, I have not read uh, the Divine Comedy. Um, maybe one day I will, but I find reading uh, poetry kind of difficult on my brain i have to have kind of a translation ready and that uh a little bit of literalism i have to get over so one of the things i was interested in uh hearing you talk about this is the question of do people who uh like would you go to a priest and say hey do you take this as a little example and probably and they would say no uh, or (laughs) otherwise this is an educated allegory for hell But for a very long time, this was considered not scripture, but kind of a um, auxiliary, yeah, supplemental work. You know, you don't need, it's not the handbook, but it's nice to have if you're trying to get into, you know, a bonus area. Um, So I thought that was really interesting. From here, I guess I want to talk about Paradise Lost briefly, Mm -hmm. um, which I have read. And Paradise Lost is by John Milton. It's probably a lot of people consider it one of the best works of uh, of English literature, which I gotta say is <laughs> is very much uh, 
uh, privileging the past over the future. Like, not that it's a bad work. I'm just saying that there are other options, my dudes. Uh, anyway, uh, it was published in 1667. But the thing about Paradise Lost is it's a very long epic poem that is a like a biblical story of the fall of man. So it talks about uh, Satan and Lucifer, who are in some ways the same person, fall from grace, the idea of... Um, of Lucifer as a as a charming but flawed person like it it does humanize the creatures especially in uh, a lot of creatures especially in that story have motivations and are are moved by what you might think of as as mortal emotions uh and it's very important but it's been drawn on so many times that so many of them I think would be familiar to people like the idea of of Satan as like a charmer kind of an anti-hero in some some interpretations of Paradise Lost Satan is kind of the like the protagonist it depends on your reading whether you were taking it as a uh as like a subversive take on Christianity or whether you're saying, oh, Milton is is just providing a more complex interpretation. I think I think it would probably be more accurate to say that Milton's just providing a more complex interpretation. Like everything about his life says that he was, you know, genuinely religious in his way. He just uh, was interpreting it to be in a more sensitive con context, like less ham-fisted. Um, <laughs> And he talks about, you know, he talks about idolatry and he doesn't like the idea of, of say, divine right or ruling for the sake of ruling. Um, that said, some people still think of it as, um, as you know, against religion. But some people just say it's, it's against a kind of uh, absolute monarchy or it's just a story of him reinterpreting this uh this mythology to be more understandable and more complex and have more meaning to him anyway <laughs> i brought you all here today <laughs> for a very special thing which is uh after john milton lived and died a man named William Blake was born, and then many years later in <laughs> our the year good, of good our, friend, our Lord, Blake. 2019, I was really obsessed with him and wanted to talk about him. Uh, we've talked about William Blake before, but yeah, uh, it's worth, him a handful of times. worth just bringing up straight away. We talked about how Dante had Virgil. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> William Blake did almost the exact same thing with Milton. <laughs> He wrote about stories where Milton guide him, guided him. He worked really hard. I think it's technically incomplete. He did illustrations of Dante's Inferno, but he also did illustrations of Paradise Lost. He uh, Paradise Lost, excuse me, um, collected in the book Milton. Uh, I think it's technically incomplete, but he was really, really into Milton, like one hundred percent, super, super into Milton, like favorite thing considered him probably the best author but anyway uh as we've talked about it probably William Blake was kind of a, a reinterpreter he was creating his own mythology um he wrote Jerusalem uh, did those feet in ancient times you might know the song uh but he wrote one of my favorite 
uh, elongated poems, which is The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, which I'm not going to read all of, but I am going to read a big chunk, so buckle up. I do want to say, though, for those uh, who don't know, Bernadette and I have some very personal experience working with this this (laughs) poem. And not that it's, like, that big of a deal, but I think it's my favorite project I've ever worked on. We had to do a, uh, a, sh- a short film based off of uh, writings from a non-U.S. author uh, our last year of and school. And I said, how about William Blake? <laughs> we made a really cool short film. It was very fun. I had a lot of fun working on it. I played the devil. I And I'm not very intimidating, so it was interesting. No, it was cute. It was extremely <laughs> good. I, uh, we, so we took, we took segments of this poem, specifically the Proverbs of Hell, and, uh, and turned them into kind of a, just a trippy allegorical short film, and I really yeah. liked it. It's really, it was very fun to work on. So this, this poem has a special place in my heart. Because it, specifically of the work we 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 spent a lot of time on it. We spent like a full semester with this with this poem. I couldn't tell you why I like this poem so much. I just do. Uh, it's but just fun, fun, funky. Blake oh. has some really complex views on religion. Like he was in fe- in every way spiritual, but you'll discover as I read uh, at least this first section of the marriage in heaven and hell, how kind of complicated that relationship is. So, you ready? Do you want to explain what, um, mm-hmm. what kind of it, it this is? To, like, Oh, so it's difficult to explain. So William Blake, uh, I have to look up the exact word uh, for it, but he wrote what he called his prophetic works, uh, which are in their own way kind of their own um their own books of mythology like he created his own yeah. uh, pantheon of gods uh one of which is referenced in this he created these allegorical works um one of them that you might know is uh i think daughters of albion talks about um america and um and like the necessity of uh, abolition and like the the story of America as told through an allegory. Uh, yeah. Same for same for London and England, where he was from. Uh, so he wrote basically like he kind of just made his own works of of scripture in a way. He was making a new scripture. That's not exactly right, but he he did a lot of stuff, and I. I think it's worth reading one or two, even if it doesn't sound like your deal, just reading a bit of his poems. His most it's famous fun. one is I think it's Tiger, fun. Tiger, Burning Bright. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was interested in creating these works that went over morality, life and death and all essential things and creating these uh, the these works that I just, I just love a whole bunch. <laughs> and like any historical figure not completely uncomplicated but uh that's a story for another day yeah all right so the marriage of heaven and hell i'm gonna sit up like an adult the marriage of heaven and hell by william blake the argument rintra roars and shakes his fires in the burdened air hungry clouds swag on the deep once meek and in a perilous path, the just man kept his course along the veil of death. 
Roses are planted where thorns grow, and on the barren heath sing the honeybees. Then the perilous path was planted, and a river and a spring on every cliff and tomb, and on the bleached bones red clay brought forth, till the villain left the paths of ease to walk in perilous paths, and drive the just man into barren climes. Now the sneaking serpent walks in mild humility, and the just man rages in the wilds where the lions roam. Rintra roars and shakes his fires in the burdened air, Hungry clouds swag on the deep. As a new heaven is begun, and it is now thirty-three years since Advent, the eternal hell revives, and lo, Swedenborg is the angel sitting on the tomb. His writings are the linen clothes folded up. Now is the dominion of Edom, and the return of Adam into paradise. See Isaiah XXXIV and Isaiah XXXV. Without contraries is no progression, attraction and repulsive, attraction and repulsion, reason and energy, love and hate are necessary to human existence. From these contraries spring what the religious call good and evil. Good is the passive that obeys reason, evil is the active springing from energy. Good is heaven, evil is hell. The voice of the devil. All Bibles or sacred codes have been the cause of the following errors. 1. That man has two real existing principles, viz. a body and soul. 2. That energy, called evil, is alone from the body, and that reason, called good, is alone from the soul. 3. That God will torment man in eternity for following his energies. But the following contraries to these are true. 1. Man has no body distinct from his soul, for that, called body, is a portion of the soul discerned by the five senses, the chief inlets of soul in this age. 2. Energy is the only life, and is from the body, and reason is bound, or outward circum and reason is the bound or outward circumference of energy. And 3. Energy is eternal delight. Those who restrain desire do so because theirs is weak enough to be restrained, and the restrainer or reason usurps its place and governs the unwilling. And being restrained, it by degrees become pa becomes passive. And being restrained, it by degrees becomes passive, till it is only the shadow of desire. The history of this is written in Paradise Lost, and the governor of reason is called the Messiah. And the original archangel or possessor of the command of the heavenly host is called the devil or Satan, and his children are called sin and death. But in the book of Job, Milton's Messiah is called Satan. For this history has been adopted by both parties. It, is, it indeed appeared to reason as if desire was cast out, but the devil's account is that the Messiah fell and formed a heaven that he stole from the abyss. This is shown in the gospel where he prays to the father to send the comforter or desire that reason may have ideas to build on, or Jehovah of the Bible being no other than he who dwells in flaming fire. Know that after Christ's death, he became Jehovah. But in Milton, the father is destiny, the son, a ratio of the five senses and the Holy Ghost, a vacuum. Note, the reason Milton wrote in fetters when he spoke of angels and God, and at liberty, when he spoke of devils and hell, is because he was a true poet, 
and of the devil's party without knowing it. A Memorable Fancy As I was walking among the fires of hell, delighted with the enjoyments of genius, which to angels look like torment and insanity, I collected some of their proverbs, thinking that as the sayings used in a nation mark its character, so the proverbs of hell show the nature of infernal wisdom better than any description of buildings or garments. When I came home on the abyss of the five senses, where a flat-sided steep frowns over the present world, I saw a mighty devil clothed in black clouds hovering on the sides of the rock. With corroding fires he wrote the following sentence, now perceived by the minds of men and read by them on earth. How do you know but every bird that cuts the airy way is immense world of delight closed by your senses five? The ancient poets animated all sensible objects with gods or geniuses, calling them by names and adorning them with properties of woods, rivers, mountains, lakes, cities, nations, and whatever their enlarged and numerous senses could perceive. And particularly they studied the genius of each city and country, placing it under its mental deity till a system was formed, which some took advantage of and enslaved and enslaved the vulgar by attempting to realize or abstract the mental deities from their objects. Thus began priesthood, choosing forms of worship from poetic tales, and at length they pronounced that the gods had ordered such things. Thus men forgot that all deities reside within the human breast. So, for those of you who, depending on how Caitlin cuts this, and depending on how much sense that made to you, William Blake was pretty... Um, revolutionary in the fact, not revolutionary in that he, like, started anything, but pretty inventive in that he took all of this stuff and codified it into this, this new thing, um, and no, I, I'm incapable of, like, speaking about how much I enjoy reading this, so <laughs> I'm kind of just, uh, don't take my word for it, take everything I say with a grain of salt, but the section, the voice of the devils, of uh, uh, of the devil about uh, the cause of the falling errors is one of my favorite passages he's written. I just think it's very good and is valuable in that it, it helps you to think about the world and yourself and, uh, and you know, your connection to uh, spirituality. And I like him a whole bunch. <laughs> he wrote some really cool stuff. I really like I I still have a lot of the um uh that passage memorized mm-hmm. from editing our our film. So like when you were reading it I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I know a lot of this." <laughs> yeah, it's um it's it's not so much saying like flip the script. Actually, hell is great and heaven sucks but it's saying that all of them are essential parts of human experience and the idea that any any version of it is true torment or or torture is uh, a fallacy created by the other side like they are all things that exist and things that influence people and people experience but the idea that either one of them is good or bad is an invention of narrative yeah, it's like it's like the two sides of the same coin slash can't have one without the other, sort of a sort of a deal. Yeah, it's a it's a very good and very long poem where he speaks to both angels and quote unquote devils, and brings I like it a whole own, bunch. Yeah, he kind of brings back his own like 
like I said, not quite scripture, but like like interpretations of mm-hmm. the world and how how he sees it and kind of a thing. It's it's interesting because it's it's he talks about he 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 the the story is he goes he goes to hell and then comes back with with these new ideas or or rewritings of existing ideas in a lens that yeah it's that him are very saying, poetic and very Blake. Hold up, everyone. Actually, what you've been reading is through one specific lens. Here's another lens. Exactly. Yeah. He's fun. He's a fun dude. Our good, good friend, William Blake. I just, I mean, <laughs> definitely a complicated dude. Not, uh, not in any way, like, wholly good or wholly bad. Uh, but I just like him a whole bunch, and I like reading his stuff. And thank you all for sitting quietly while I talk to you. <laughs> It's definitely worth uh, uh, checking out. I I can agree. I can agree. I, I do enjoy his work. He's also, as we, I think we mentioned in the fairies episode, he's also a very accomplished illustrator. He does a lot yeah. of he does a lot of very cool artwork he too, sure which is very ethereal and yeah, it's so very ethereal and pretty. And I actually haven't seen his ones now, of of Dante's Inferno, which I I'm, is it good? Meh. But he I did like do his a lot work. Of it. Uh, I he, it has a lot work. of feeling to it. Like he, he is in no way pretentious about express. Like he does his best to express what he wants to express. I like him a lot. Okay. <laughs> he also, you know, believed a lot of weird stuff and <laughs> that we won't get into. But um, all in all, go listen to go listen to our um our episode one about fairies if you want to hear a little bit more about some of yeah. some of Blake's thoughts. <laughs> Thank you for coming to the William Blake podcast. This has been your host, Laura Bernadette Meeker, and your uh, and the person I am keeping captive with my words, Caitlin Bruder. <laughs> no, okay, we there's still other pop culture to talk about because people have been writing about hell uh, a lot in think, the English language. I think we have. Our probably is actually an okay jumping off point to talk a little bit about art. Like hell and oh, art, yeah. kind of a thing. Uh, a few of the things that I've just brought up, I probably should have mentioned a little bit earlier, but we can we can talk about them now. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of illustrations and a lot of interpretations of Dante's Inferno of the Divine Comedy, um, and there's just a few I wanted to like highlight really quick, just because I think they're very cool. Um, there's a series of woodcuts called, or excuse me, a uh, series of woodcuts by Antonio Minetti from sometime in the 1400s uh, that illustrates Dante's Hell that I think are very cool. They're, they might be on the Wikipedia page if you go to Dante's Inferno, but lots of lots of cool stuff there. The Gates of Hell is one I wanted to bring up, which is this humongous sculptural piece by French artist Augusta Rodin that depicts um, a scene from the Inferno in the first section. It's six meters high, so uh, I think it was like almost 20 feet tall. You might know Rodon from, uh, he did The Thinker. Yeah, yeah. The Thinker is also featured in the sculpture, too. So it's like, there's a lot of, a lot of weird stuff, but, um, and it's four meters wide and a meter deep. So it's this gigantic, I believe it's a brass casting. I don't 100% Uh, know. Let me look. Yeah, that. It looks like brass or bronze. It's. To me. Um, but it was commissioned. Hard to tell from the photos. Yeah, it it was, it was commissioned in 1880. It looks like bronze. And it was supposed to be finished by in five years, so by 1885. But he continued to work on this piece on and off for 37 years. Holy crap. Until he died in 1917. 
it's bananas. The sculpture is so big. It's so huge. And there's a lot going on. And I think a lot of a lot of arts depicting hell or Dante's Inferno or different things have this sort of busy quality to it, mm-hmm. um, which we'll talk about Bosch in a second. I know you have a little bit on Bosch. Um, but uh, there's also uh, Botticelli did a map of hell, which was uh, inspired by the Divine Comedy. So it's got the nine rings. I think it's very interesting. I think it's all, it's almost technical looking, and I really just enjoyed how how that one looked too. It was inspired by by the Divine Comedy's nine circles of hell. But very interesting. There's a lot of a lot of art, and there's more than this. This these are just a few that caught my eye specifically while I was reading up on um, on Dante and everything, but. I do want to talk a little bit about Bosch, and I'm glad that oh, you boy. said you, you wanted to talk about it, too, because I think this painting, this triptych, is just absolutely bananas. If like, you've never seen it, go look up the Garden of Earthly Delights if you're near a computer. Uh, I don't know what was going on with Bosch. I don't know enough about him to say... No one knows enough about Bosch. So That's, like, the thing. Bosch, early not a, oh, Netherlands. Man. If you know... Uh, if you know anything about, like, Flemish art, you know that uh, this region of the world, for a certain amount of time, experienced a kind of boom in trade and had a lot of money, and so a lot of art was produced. Yes. Uh, some of which is really badly sourced, um, but some of which we know who did it, because it's so gosh darn distinctive. And one of those people was Hieronymus Bosch, who did... Was the coolest name in, I've I ever I know, heard right? Life, probably. I wish I was called Hieronymus. Um, so... <laughs> Whether or not, again, chicken and the egg scenario, I think the idea yeah. of, like, a tangle of bodies is inherently disturbing, but yeah. the triptych, on the outside, there's a picture of, like, a globe, and it has um, earth before people, but with plants, and it's very beautiful, it's all black kind and white. Yeah, yeah it's like, kind of ghostly almost. Dreamy. I really like it. I it's like about, it a By lot. the way, it's it's about seven feet tall. This thing oh, is yeah, humongous. Is real big. When uh, it's open, I think it's 13 feet wide. When it's closed, I don't know how big it is, but open, it's 13 feet wide. Oh, yeah, we should say that people of the time were creating triptychs and stuff, uh, either to display in the home, a uh, big thing was, you know, showing that you were, you were having money. Like, you think mm-hmm. of all those fancy Flemish paintings, a lot of them had to do with this. Anyway, uh, technically, Netherlands in this part, but same general area same influx of money and cash and people same being thought, very yeah. demonstrative about their wealth uh, other yeah. things were for like private shrines or for actual churches but the point is this is is real big uh it's been in it's been in the prado uh for for about the last hundred years mm-hmm. but i don't really know where it went before that um I couldn't tell you because it's it's one of those things where it's not super well sourced. Like people are trying to determine, like, uh, here's when it happened. We don't know exactly who commissioned it, but the point is that people freaking love art. Anyway, <laughs> triptychs, diptychs—they're cool because they're like multiple pieces of art. Uh, anyway, you open it up and on. The left side, there's paradise. In the middle, there's something else entirely. And then <laughs> on the right, well, I think the left is supposed to be like the Garden of Eden, the, and then the, the left, middle is yeah, paradise, the, and then the right is yeah. 
So the left, um, the outer left panel shows it's it's God introducing uh, Adam and Eve, uh, and so it is Garden of Eden style. The central is the most well known, which is actually what it, it's named after. So the Garden of Earthly Delights is kind of a misnomer because that's the yeah. title of the central piece and not the whole thing. I don't know if there is a title for the whole thing, but that's what the middle piece is called. People um, call and it, and it's that. this it's a surreal garden with all the weird, funky temptations on earth. And then on the right, it's the torture and damnation. Uh, kind of reading left to right kind of tells the story of man is created, man lives and fails and is punished is kind of so, kind of one interpretation of it. This is an extremely wild painting. Also, Hieronymus Bosch did a couple... In this era of art, European art history, the idea of, like, perspective and uh, and like scale and distance were kind of in flux so there is like things go back in the panel and get smaller as as they grow more distant but it's still but, all yeah. equally rendered and pretty like crisp and yeah. it it looks pretty bizarre um, yeah to a modern eye and i would dare say probably to the people who saw it at the time <laughs> at the time yeah it's surreal like the things in this painting are so bananas the 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 painting on the right is the one that is will probably spend the most attention on because that's the one that makes its way to more hell vibes but all of it is absolutely ridiculous there are these birds the size of humans there are these like oddly shaped these this like bubblegum pink shapes and and like I don't I'll even tell know you what like... they do look like. Some <laughs> nasty. I don't know. There's just something inherently about the pink color that you're like, hmm, is that genitalia? Yeah. Maybe. Uncomfortably fleshy, yeah. Uh, but there's so... it's, it's very the the first two, so the left and the middle are both these bright bright blues and greens and pinks. Um, all of these, there's just bright, bright hues. And then all of very starkly, suddenly the last panel on the right is grays and blacks and oranges and tans. Before and we really go to hell, let's go to yeah. the left panel at the bottom. And let's talk about that cute little seal who's pulling his way out of the, <laughs> the pond. Uh, look at him, man. Look at his eyes. What goodness. a sweetie pie. Oh man. I love the little like bird headed um, friend with the kettle on his head eating a person with birds oh, coming out on the of right. the butt. Yeah. yeah. All right. That so let's talk fun. about the right. Let's start from the bottom. <laughs> start from oh. the bottom. There is yeah. a man caressing a pig wearing a nun's habit. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's aforementioned bird friend with a helmet who's also possibly pooing a bird and there's an arrow yeah. in his butt. Uh, there's yeah. a lot going on. There's, there's like him. not even... We could spend an entire episode and not even get through one of these panels. Okay, like, how about this? Like, tell me your favorite part of of this painting, of this panel, of the hell panel. Well, my fave is absolutely the the bird man with the kettle on his head. I think that's my favorite guy. He's that's sitting in like a high chair with his feet in in vases. It's there's just a lot. I don't really even know. Like, there's a. There's a rabbit eating people's feet. There is, like... My favorite is what is possibly a siege engine made out of ears and a knife. Oh, yeah, that too. That one's pretty fun, too. There's a lot of, like, vaguely phallic imagery in here, and 
I really, though, one thing I do, the top, maybe, like, yeah. fifth of the painting, it's very, like, compared to the rest of this, it has atmosphere. It it's has, very, like, naturalistic, like a war zone. Yeah. It's very bizarre. This whole painting is so surreal and bizarre to look at, and I, I wish I knew how long it took. It's kind of bonkers. Just the way this, like, lighting looks. I don't know. It's so, so cool. And I will post a link on the Twitter. I found a, a an interactive online exhibit so you can kind of, like, zoom in and, like, look at everything. But we'll post it so you guys can kind of check it out because there's not, there's not, there's no chance we could even begin to explain to you how wild the the imagery in these, in these panels are. But um, we bring it up because there is, like I had kind of mentioned they're really we don't have a lot of information on Bosch like history history did, was not kind to his memory we don't have a ton we don't like know really anything about him so a lot of a lot of um interpretations of the work he did just kind of like shrug I guess your guess is as valid as mine uh, I don't know it's very fun but the but the um the panel on the right is often interpreted as the fall of humanity the punishment of humanity the folly of humans and internal damnation in hell so it's i mean again your guess is as good as any but like it's it's very very hellish and it does it does have that same feeling of chaos as uh dante's nine levels of hell yeah so it's i mean it's fun even the middle one okay there's to the to the right of say there's a triangular red shape that has some naked yeah. folks in it there's i mean a everyone's pair of naked people so- Laying down, one of which is clearly a woman, and then the other is possibly a man with a blueberry for a head. Look, <laughs> there's no way we could possibly go through everything. Just know that there's a lot of nakies. All of all of it's of absolutely bananas. It's bananas. I do love on the left all of the human-sized birds. Right? It's very fun. I like it a lot. There's mm-hmm. a unicorn in the leftmost panel. Ooh. And kind of an... Uh, a weird next to the giraffe there's a kind of weird like two-legged dog maybe it's Man, this is, a i'm sure this is just oh my yeah, god that, that thrilling audio just thrilling audio of us trying to parse these go just, look at it friends go please look, at, go this look at it like bizarre two-legged even... dog who is possibly supposed to be a kangaroo i don't know i don't know there's just some yeah it's it's yeah, I can't. I don't know what that is. I have no idea what that creature is supposed to be. I don't know. I don't know. Wow, we'll post a link. We'll post a link so you can look at this too, because there's, there's so much. All there's right. so much, and it's great. Do you want to talk about pop cu- cultures? Yeah, let's get into our pop cultures. Popped cultures, <laughs> as they call it. As they call them, the popped cultures of hell. So, actually. Actually, before we get into our pupped cultures, this is still, I guess, could be considered. I have a a hoax, a, a oh, ruse, yeah. a, a sort of a thing that I thought was very funny and wanted to share. So it's called the Well to Hell hoax. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's an urban legend that I found and I'm very fascinated by. So there is a, it was about a borehole, which I hate. I think that's the worst word imaginable, a borehole in Russia that was um, supposedly drilled so deep that it broke through into hell, and it was this—it was this theory or this this myth, myth or legend that was circulating on the internet since around 1995. So I think that's awesome. So 
the what happened was the Soviet Union drilled a hole. There was the, so there was the space race happening, and there was also Earth Earth race happening, where we were also fighting with the Russians to try to like dig the deepest hole first. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that happened. Americans gave up, and the Soviets did win this race. Oh, um, bummer. But they dug a big old hole. That was 12 kilometers, about seven and a half miles deep, called the Kola Super Deep Borehole on the Kola Peninsula. Um, after they reached about 12,000 meters or 40,000 feet in, uh, I think it was the late 1980s, 1989, something like that, um, they found some really cool anomalies, and it was over 350 degrees down there. Really, really cool. I could get into the science. They found water that deep in the rocks, in the molecules that they think, like, and they found these cool, like, um, bacterial fossils of things that they didn't think could exist down there. Very cool. I won't get into the science of it, but it's really, really cool. If you like that kind of stuff, look it up. But the myth, the story that was circulating was this, that there was a team of Russian engineers in Siberia, which is not where this took place, but in Siberia that had drilled a hole that was 14 kilometers or 8.9 miles deep before they broke through into this this cavernous <laughs> hole and they were intrigued by this, that they weren't expecting this, and they lowered... <laughs> apparently an extremely heat-resistant microphone with some other sensory equipment down into this well where they recorded that the temperature was over 1,000 degrees Celsius or 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit in this chamber that apparently this microphone and everything could withstand. Um, This chamber of fire that apparently they picked up on this fancy, fancy, fancy microphone. The screams of the damned could be heard. which is all funny, all of it's hilarious that any of that would even work. But the best part about this is that the, it was later um, debunked, like duh, but it was later debunked that the the recording was potentially looped together various sound clips um, from the 1970 movie Barren Blood. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's very good. There's something that's very awesome. Lovecraftian about that. Like, I feel like yeah. that's the Dunwich horror is very much that kind of mm-hmm. mood. Yeah, uh, there's a movie called Nine Miles Down that was inspired by by this legend. The Descent, possibly a movie I've never seen. Maybe. I, I worked at a cave for a while and everyone would always bring it up. And I was like, I, not, why would I, I want know. to watch a horror movie about the place I work? <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. What really cool thing, um, that this hole is deeper than the Marianas Trench. This is this hole is deeper than the ocean. Check which that. Is wild to me. Also bananas to me that the ocean is only like s- six point eight miles deep at its deepest point, which is oh, wild to me. I have something tangentially related, which is uh, the elevator game. Uh, which I most want to bring up because it pops up in a couple things. Like, uh, people, again, I don't know if this is true at all. Uh, do you know about Eliza Lamb? I think that's her name. She uh, she was recorded in an elevator acting kind of strangely, and then her body was found uh, later in, like, the, the water reservoir at the hotel. Oh, weird. Uh, the point is, like, uh, people think... Again, with very little to no, uh, no evidence, people think, oh, she was playing this game because she was acting weirdly in an elevator. Anyway, Ooh. it's based on uh, a Korean website 
Um, so the idea is the elevator to the other world or the elevator or whatever. <laughs> anyway, you have to do a certain um, certain number of tasks, like go to this floor, then to that floor, look around, etc., etc. And if you do it correctly, you'll go to the other world or hell or somewhere. <laughs> Um, and if Wild. you do it wrong, you'll be stuck there forever. Ooh, good. Good to know. Uh, the point is, it's apparently a thing you can do if you don't mind people... Hating um, you for hogging the elevator? Right? Like, <laughs> a lot of it is pertaining to being in the elevator alone and, like, doing this thing. You know that you're going to do it in some building and someone's going to be like, I need to use that. <laughs> people need that. People need that for things. Jeffrey? What? Jeffrey? Anyway. Anyway, it's yeah. something you can possibly do and go to a, a special a special thing and possibly you meet a, a scary woman uh, <laughs> who does stuff. Anyway, that's an option yeah. if you want to go. Or you... Never mind. I was going to make <laughs> a tasteless offhand comment about another way you could get there. That <laughs> seemed less hassle. <laughs> But I th think you'd go for the elevator because you wanted to get back. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, anyway, you know, anyway. Orpheus and Eurydice, you got Dante's Inferno, you got Bleach, <laughs> technically. Yeah. Although that's less hell and more just the world of the dead. So what you got about these All pop right. cultures? So let's do our D&D corner real quick, and then I will speak. I have so I have so much popped culture. You have no idea. We I'm can't not keep calling stop it saying that. it like that. I think it's awesome. Now we can't do it. The popped popped corn, popped culture. <laughs> Anyways, D&D. So there are tons of hellish realms in the existence of like of Dungeons and Dragons and whatever. There's like like uh, half of the. There's a couple of playable races like tieflings are considered hellish of hellish blood and whatever that sort of a thing. Um, there's a whole spectrum of from chaotic evil to neutral evil to lawful evil with just different planes essentially, and it also depends on the game you're playing. But within the source material, there is the windswept depths of pandemonium. There is the infinite layers of the abyss. There's the Tartarian depths of carcery. There's the gray wastes. Excuse me. There's the gray wastes of Hades. There's the bleak eternity of Genna and the nine hells of Bator and the infernal battlefield of Archeron. There's lots Ooh. happening in D&D, &D, and I don't really have stats for you, but if you want to look them up, there's lots of hell or hell-adjacent planes that you can explore in your, in there your home sure games. There sure are. Very good. But yeah, so as far as pop culture goes, there are... Just tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of things that have feature hell or have elements that are inspired by hell or some version of it. So we're gonna run through. We've got so much. We got so much to do. So much to see. Um, in like uh, anime and manga, Dragon Ball Z, Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Bleach. Um, the heart we talked about. Bosch. We talked about um, lot. There's uh, Gustave Dore's illustrations of hell. what? Nothing. Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, is that what you're talking I, about? Yu-Gi-Oh! has hell? What do you think the Shadow Realm is? Oh my god! This is the worst. This is the worst day of my life. I have to think about Yu-Gi-Oh! having hell. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. Welcome to hell. Oh lord. Sorry. Carry on. 
Um, in comics, Marvel comics have an evil dimension called the Demonic Limbo. Um, mm. DC's Hellblazer, Tintin by uh, George Remy, uh, Spawn by Todd McFarlane, Heck by Xander Cannon, who I've met and is a very friendly man. Um, in film and TV, As Above, So Below, like we mentioned, mm-hmm. um, uh, we didn't even bring up <laughs> our, friend, our fun friend Baphomet. Um, <laughs> Uh, the Beyond, Skinner Cop, Hercules, it's in Star Trek, Xena, Warrior, Princess, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Supernatural, Arrow, The Good Place, South Park, Looney Tunes, Futurama, Animatics, The Simpsons, Pinky and the Brain, Adventure Robot Time, Hell Creature is Comforts. pretty great. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> um, Creature Comforts, which is a thing that oh, yeah. has existed I for a long time, uh, that I watched too much as a child and probably shouldn't have because we had oh, it on yeah. VHS. Like as a kid, I remember watching this a ton of times because I. Oh, and it's I, definitely not a kids show. Definitely not a kids thing, but I watched. Um, it was the one, not without my handbag, which I don't know if, but where she basically gets this woman gets, kind of, ripped into hell because she defers the payment on her like laundry machine. <laughs> Jesus. And she, she like climbs back up from hell because she forgot her purse. Like. It's a yeah. I have very weird, vivid memories of all of those of creature comforts, but that's the one that I remember the most. Um, in literature, uh, Adam R. Brown's *Astral Dawn*, uh, Dante Alighieri's *Inferno*, *The Divine Comedy*, Homer's *Odyssey*, Virgil's *The Aeneid*. Is that how you say that? The Iliad? No, the Aeneid. Oh, Aeneid. Yes. Uh, there's a short story called Other People by Neil Gaiman uh, in Warrior Cats, The Place of No Stars. Hi, Maureen. Hi. <laughs> and, and the Brothers Grimm. Where you are hidden from Star Clan. Uh, while we're talking about Warrior Cats, our buddies Maureen and Brenna have a podcast called Warrior Cats, What Is That? Where Maureen, a resident expert on the Warrior Cats series, and Brenna, resident, has not read them. They talk through the plot and and have a good time. It's very charming. It's very funny. And they're two of our best friends. And they're on iTunes and I think pretty much wherever you can find podcasts now. So you should check them out if you want a good laugh. Even if you don't care about that the the franchise or have never read it or have never heard of it. They're they're charming and funny and you should check them out. Um uh in games, Bloodborne, Crypt Worlds, I guess Detroit Become Humans. I still don't really know what that game is about, but I guess they have I hell. refuse to learn. Yeah, same. Uh, and Diablo, Doom, Fear Effect, Painkiller, Elder Scrolls. I guess Sonic Adventures has hell, <laughs> <laughs> or has a level inspired by hell. Yeah, it does. Uh, but but yeah, that's that's well, and pretty again, much everything under the sun that has pretty much everything a under lot of the content. Sun. Yeah, there's like there's and that's again that's a handful of things I grabbed I grabbed from different different sites that I found. There's not. There's not going to be a definitive list that we would take an entire hour for me to run Caitlin, through. Caitlin, what's that's your what favorite depiction of hell? My favorite depiction of hell? I don't know. I guess we probably should have prepped this question beforehand. Oh, I have one. Go for it. Uh, hell and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Ooh, there you go. Uh, where hell is like having to do push-ups and getting <laughs> awkward kisses from your grandma. <laughs> and uh, and they end up getting out of hell by beating uh, beating death in a board game, and then they take him to heaven, and he dresses. Uh, it's a good film that you should yeah, watch. Take it. Yeah, there you go. But I think that is all we have for you. Um, 
surprisingly, two episodes. This episode is going to be quite long. Sorry about that. Um, but thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Stone Houses. Our next episode goes up Sunday, March 24th. Um, yeah. yeah. This has been part two of, of Hell, which I guess I did ex- I did expect was going to go longer than this. But we did. We are pretty succinct, which is probably pretty good because I'm losing my corporeal form again to sickness. Oh, no. I should probably go sleep after this. But we made it through. We made it through two whole episodes at once. We've been in our recording booth for a week, and I can finally go home. Thank God. <laughs> I'm climbing out of hell. I got a puppy here who's being very sleepy and wants pets. So that's yeah, what I'm going to do. It was very good. Very good and quiet through the whole recording process. Uh, we have some cool announcements. As we said last week, uh, we have a coffee. Uh, if you want to throw a couple bucks at us to support our show, that mean, it would mean a ton to us. Uh, and you can find us at ko-fi.com forward slash stonehousescast. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please share our show with a friend. Uh, ratings and reviews on your on your podcast hosting site of choice really, really help us out. We read all of them. It means a ton. Um, thank you very much for everyone who has who has done that. Uh, but it shows shows sites that, hey, we can show this show to other people. Get more listeners. And we have more fun. On our, I don't know. I'm just talking at this point. Uh, we are available. I won't go through the list. We're available pretty much wherever podcasts are found. And you found us since you're listening. So, hey, congratulations. You can check us out at StonehousesCast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can email us at uh, StonehousesCast at gmail.com. Yay. Thank you. Thank you so much to everyone who has been tweeting or posting about the show to promote us and share us with others. We appreciate you getting the word out. Um, no individual shout outs to make this episode because we recorded this literal minutes after uh, the last episode. But shout out to you, dear listener. Yes, you, you specifically listening toward this episode right now. You're cool and I <laughs> like your shirt. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Um, yeah. You can- you can post about us uh, and tag us at StonehousesCast or using hashtag StonehousesCast and send us, I don't know, weird stuff we said on the episodes that we probably forgot we said, so we have to face the music. Um, and we can shout you out. Yeah. And tell you how cool your clothing choices are as well. <laughs> uh, this has been Stonehouses, an amateur guide to fiction, fable, and folklore. I'm Caitlin Bruder. And I'm Laura Bernadette Meeker. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.